Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you we can gather here this morning on a a brisk Tuesday morning uh, to study your word, uh, to be with fellow men and discuss real life issues. Lord, uh, our life is so easy. Uh, I'm thinking of Kevin and Valentine in the Ukraine who are staying so that they can preach uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, so that they can be a a comfort to the people, Um, that when there's... uh, violence and terror, they are there to show the, the truth and the beauty of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you bless their families. You bless uh, Valentine and Kevin. Lord, keep them safe. Lord, uh, give them directions to go. Uh, Kevin said yesterday, and when he was emailing me, that three explosions went off during, while he was reading my email. And the terror that must be for the families and for the people of Ukraine. Lord, uh, I pray you give us ways that we can help uh, through Kevin or Valentine, just ways we can send material support. But uh, most importantly, Lord, we we ask for your support. And I know that you're with them. Lord, uh, bless our time this morning. Thank you for the men that are on the call this morning who are out in uh, Cyberland that are able to hear the teaching and, and gather together just like we're doing here. Lord, bless them this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right, we're, st- we're still down there at our table counting states. Um, it's good to see you all. Several years ago, I, th- I know it's several years because it was pre-COVID, and I apologize if I've told you this story before, but I was at a family gathering, um, multi-generational. We had my parents, their, their siblings, their, their cousins, um, some of them older than my parents, mine are in their 80s, some of them younger. We had my generation, we had our kids and their kids. Kids running every place and dogs, just dogs running amok. Our dog was down at the uh, barn visiting the, um, the hogs and she came trotting back up and she knows where the food is and she knows to sniff around where people are eating and she's doing her thing and then I look down and I'm talking to my uncle my great great uncle and, and he's a great guy too he's got such a good sense of humor but we're looking at Lucy and she's looking at us we're looking at her she's looking at us and I said what is that in her mouth that looks like somebody's teeth like human teeth, not like, you know, like a smile, but like hanging out of the side of her mouth. So, some dentures. And my uncle reaches down, and he, he picks them up and says, who lost her teeth? <laughs> and, and one of the older ladies sitting there eating and talking, she said, those are my teeth. So he, and she was like right there. I don't know how she didn't see this happen. But he hands her the teeth, and what's she do? Pops in her mouth. Was that a sudden experience for my uncle and I? Yes, it was sudden. Was it shocking? Yes, it was a little shocking, and we didn't say anything. <laughs> but was it inevitable? Now, my, fa- my family's from West Virginia, 
and this is a large gathering, it was inevitable that at some point in my life I would witness my dog with someone else's teeth in her mouth. I mean, it just... <laughs> I love that story because it just makes me laugh. Um, today we're looking at the conversion of Saul and how he was introduced to his brothers in Christ in, in Damascus. And as we do, I want you to keep that story about the teeth in the back of your mind. We may or may not come back to it. Um, we're, we're in Acts chapter 9. I invite you to open your Bible or your electronic version if you want to follow along there. Um, but first, who read chapter 9, 1 to 31 in preparation for this morning? So of hands, don't be bashful. If anybody raised their hand there in preparation for this, table leaders, please give your table five points. And because we encourage that behavior and we want to read through this together. Um, so before I get in trouble with Jack, let me go to prayer. God, you made the heavens and earth. You're the creator. You revealed your beauty and creation and gave us all the instruction and understanding we need through creation and through the Holy Scriptures. Holy Spirit, help us understand you better as we open your word together. God, illuminate the scriptures for us. Take her deep into deeper understanding you and your love for us. And please bless my brothers. Amen. I also want to say it was really great to see the Hollywood squares up there and the guys in the morning. I mean, it just blesses me to just see them there. Um, I often don't remember that they're watching and they're participating. Now, I watched last week, and it was so neat to be able to dial in and participate, even though we weren't, you know, I wasn't able to be here because I was traveling. Um, so, Acts 9. Over the past couple of weeks, we've, um, we've learned about Stephen and Philip, two of the men that God used to lay the foundations of the church. Now, Luke turns the narrative to two more significant conversions, that of Saul of Tarsus and Cornelius the Centurion. And this morning we're going to be looking at that first part of the narrative. And to be honest with you, the narrative format, I love reading Acts because it is a, a narrative and it's really easy to understand. You just have to read it. Um, there's a few nuggets I found in various commentaries I looked at when I was doing prep for this that I might have otherwise overlooked and I'll, I'll share those with you this morning. But mostly commentaries agree that Saul's conversion was um, not typical. There's a sense that when we talk about the road to Damascus experience that it was sudden and unexpected and not really relatable to someone like me who grew up in this church environment. Not in this church, but in the church environment. Now John Stott, whose commentary we're kind of using, his view is a little bit different. And he challenges us to think a little deeper about whether Luke intends on us to understand Saul's conversion as typical of Christian conversions today. So think about your own experience in coming to know the Lord and how it may relate. Now Luke is uh, telling his reader about Saul's conversion intentionally, and to get there, he begins at the beginning. So let's talk first about who, who this man Saul is. He was born in the city of Tarsus, now that would be modern-day um, Turkey, and he was born to Jewish parents that were also Roman citizens, so, so was Paul. He was a Roman citizen and a Jew. 
when he was a child, they moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem, and Saul began his studies in Jerusalem of the, um, to become a master of the law. There's been some debate over whether his childhood rearing was in Jerusalem or Tarsus, but in um, a straightforward reading of his own comments that you find later in Acts, in chapter 22, um, he states that, his, that Jerusalem was his boyhood home. Now, he was present at the stoning and the trial of Stephen. Um, and Luke told us that Stephen's executioners laid their clothes, their, their cloaks down at Saul's feet and that Saul fully approved of the mob's murderous actions. He went on to ravage the church, to persecute the church. He went into the homes of believers to arrest them, men and women, take them to prison. His post-conversion correspondence to the churches, the epistles, reveals more about his background. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, he describes himself as a Hebrew, as an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. In his letter to Philippians, he says he was a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. And kicking off in chapter 9 of Acts, Luke tells us that he was on a rampage, that he was seeking to imprison any and all who belonged to the way as he described them. Now, because of this persecution, some had fled Jerusalem. They had escaped, and Saul was continuing to pursue them with documents in hand for their, for their arresting. Um, and he pursued them as far as Damascus, about 150 miles away, and he didn't have a motorcycle. He was hoofing it. He was very intent. His heart was full of hatred, and his mind was poisoned by prejudiceness. Now, can any of us relate to that pre-Christ in our life, having any seeds of hatred, prejudiceness? Or how about now? Do we still have those? You know, is that something that God has identified to us through the Holy Spirit? Now, Saul did meet God on the road outside of Damascus, and it was a sudden event. A light from heaven flashed around him, brighter than the midday sun. Saul fell to the ground. He heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he replied, who are you, Lord? And in response, the, the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I can't imagine what Saul must have been feeling at this point. With a sudden understanding that Jesus was not dead, but very much alive, and that his claims that Saul was familiar with were true. Also, that Jesus so closely identifies with his believers that to persecute his believers, his followers, was to persecute him. So, what did Saul do? Well, he obeyed. Christ told him to get up and go into the city and wait there. The risen Lord had appeared to Saul not in a dream or a vision, but in the real, in, in his glorified state, you know, we, we read about the light from heaven, the glory of Christ, the voice of Christ. Christ interrupted Saul's persecution, his intention. He took him from one path of persecuting the church to a completely different direction. For Paul, it was almost, it, it was undoubtedly God's grace that led him to make Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. 
Listen to the language he uses in describing this. In Galatians, he wrote that God was pleased to reveal his son in me. In Philippians, he said that Christ took hold of him, arrested him, as it were. And, and to Timothy, he wrote that God's mercy being poured out on him abundantly, overflowing like a river in a flood, filling his heart with faith and love. It was not sudden in the sense that there was no preparation in Paul's life for this moment. Yeah, the personal experience that he had on the road to Damascus was sudden, but it was not the first time that God had spoken to him or had worked in his life. By his own account in chapter 26, verse 14, Jesus also said during the same event, you are hurting yourself by kicking against the goads. You know, we know, do we know what goading is? It's, it's pushing, prodding, um, channeling somebody or something where you want them to go. But kicking in against the goads, this is an idiom for stubborn resistance to that poking and prodding and encouraging. The implication is that God had been pursuing Saul, prodding him, poking him. And this prodding and poking, which Saul had been resistant to, was painful. We're not told what the goods are that God used to guide Saul along. They could have been his own doubts. And remember, he had rejected Jesus as an imposter. And it's highly probable that he witnessed Jesus' teaching firsthand. And even if he hasn't, because we're not told if he had, but even if he hadn't, he had certain knowledge of Jesus' teaching and his claims. He had certain knowledge of his character, of the miracles. And another thing that God may have been using to goad him along is, is Stephen. Saul was there when he was killed, and he saw Stephen's face, as Luke described, lit up like an angel's. He saw Stephen's non-resistance to being stoned and his speech before the Sanhedrin and his prayer for forgiveness of his executioners and his claim to see Jesus at that point as a son of man standing at God's right hand. You know, Saul had these first-hand experiences in some way and first-hand knowledge um, that there's something different about these Christians, these followers of the way that he was persecuting. You know, and the goads that God was using may have been his conscience, inner turmoil and nagging doubts. I know I can relate to that. You know, even though Saul was an upstanding Jew, only he and God knows his inner thoughts, his motives, his desires. I don't know, this is all speculation at this point, pride, covetousness. You know, what are those things that God has used in your life to say, hey, you need to look a little closer at who I am. I think we can all relate to that in some way, and like each of us, I'm certain he didn't have inner peace as he was kicking against the goads that Jesus was using to prepare him for this encounter outside of Damascus. And in that sense, his conversion was not sudden. It was the climax. It was the result of a long, drawn-out process in which God had been pursuing him. And it was after meeting Jesus face-to-face -face that this obstinate, this... this um, Stiff-necked Pharisee bowed down to the Lord. And just as it, it was not sudden, his 
conversion was not compulsive. He had a choice. When, he, when, when Christ spoke to Saul, he humbled him but did not crush him. He, he did not compel Saul's decision. But he asked him a most compelling question, why are you persecuting me? It was very personal. Christ appealed to Saul's reason and his thinking. He appealed so that he could get him to see the evil that he was doing. Look, I am risen. My claims are true. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul wasn't so overwhelmed by God's glory that he couldn't talk, as I would imagine I would be, because we know he did talk. He asked Jesus, who are you? And in his account recorded in chapter 22, he also asked, what shall I do? And Jesus told him, go up, or get up. Go into town, and then you'll be given further instructions. So Paul's um, conversion was really a matter of God's grace. God had been pricking at Saul's mind and his conscience, and then he revealed himself in order to, for Saul to make that choice. The grace of God frees us from our bondage, prejudiceness, self-centeredness, any number of things, and it enables us to turn from that path that we were on to a new path just like Saul. It enables us to repent. It enables us to make Christ the Lord of our lives. John Stott ends this section in the commentary with a quote that I really liked, and I don't recall if, he, if this was his words or if he was quoting someone. We can only marvel at the grace of God that she, he should have mercy on such a rabid bigot as Saul of Tarsus, and indeed on such a proud, rebellious, and wayward creature as ourselves. So following that encounter with Christ, Luke turns from you know, the culmination of Saul's conversion experience to some of the consequences of the conversion experience. And the first one is a new reverence for God. Saul waited for further instructions for three days. We read that Saul did not eat or drink. Um, and God told Ananias, who he was gonna use to um, introduce Paul to his brothers, he used Ananias, um, or he told Ananias that he would find Saul praying. Now presumably, Paul spent those three days fasting and praying, which was not uncommon practice for a Pharisee. But what was he praying about for three days? Who can know these things? You know, God. I suspect he was seeking forgiveness, particularly for in revelation of the truth of Christ, and his erroneous persecution of the church. But he certainly had a new reverence and understanding of God. He also had a new relationship for the church. God used Ananias to introduce Saul to the church. Ananias even questioned God's wisdom in sending him to Paul. But Lord, this guy, you know, what about the, how he's harmed your saints? Go, God told him, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel. So Ananias obeyed. He departed. He went to Straight Street. He entered the house. He found Saul. He laid hands on him. When he addressed Saul, it was with compassion. It was with acceptance. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And this is one of those little nuggets that I just read right past before. But these were the first words that we know of that were spoken to Saul from another believer. And he called him Brother Saul with complete acceptance. And after he was baptized, and after that he was baptized, even before being nourished, he spent several days with the believers in Damascus, and he began preaching in the synagogues, synagogues that, that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Jews were astounded. They were beside themselves when they heard him preaching. You know, this, this is Saul of Taurus. He's preaching Christ, the Son of God. Now Saul used the talents that God had given him. He used his theological training, his training in the law. He used his oratory skills to further the kingdom of God. While Luke was kind of vague on the timeline here, we know from the letters to Galatians that Paul spent several years in Damascus. And during this period, he also visited Arabia. He had gone to Damascus with the goal of persecuting the church, and he ended up preaching Jesus. I wonder the, uh, the Jewish leaders were baffled. One of the themes in Act, underscored by Saul's first experience preaching in Damascus, was that the Jewish leaders would remain in opposition to the gospel. Saul's followers at this point, and he had followers at this point, they were aware of the Jewish leadership's opposition. They were aware of the, the collaboration within the government um, to imprison Saul. And so they helped him escape. Um, they lowered him in a basket outside the wall since the gates were guarded. And he left Damascus and he headed to Jerusalem and he intended on meeting up with the apostles and presenting himself as a fellow apostle who had seen Christ and spoken to him. And he tried to join the apostles, but they were skeptical and they were afraid of him. But then we are introduced to Barnabas. Barnabas made the introductions and he explained that Saul had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him. It was only after that introduction that Saul was accepted as a brother. See, Barnabas had come alongside and he took him to the apostles and said, this is what I've seen, this is what I know, this is what I've heard of this man Saul who used to persecute the church. In Damascus, he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus and as a result of that testimony, Saul was accepted as a fellow believer by the apostles. How often are we that welcoming to new believers or believers from a different religious um, history, I just lost the word, or, or an ethnic background, a religious upbringing or an ethnic background or a social background. Being able to testify about another's conversion or, or even just extend a hand to a fellow believer that is different than us is difficult, but it's desperately needed in the church. Sorry, I didn't keep up with the slides. Some questions. Well, Saul had a circle of influence, and he, this was developed prior to his, his conversion, and he had a circle of influence after his conversion because of who he was. Well, I want you to think about and maybe talk about it in just a couple words, who is in your circle of influence? 
Saul appeared uniquely qualified for the mission that he was called to, and he was called to a very specific and unique mission. Can you relate to God's calling on your life? What has God prepared you to do already that you are doing or ought to be doing? And Saul also needed someone to validate his story, introduce him to the brothers in Damascus and again to the apostles in Jerusalem. How can we be that person to new believers? And with that, I ask God to bless you in your walk with him. Thank you for being my brother.